A high court in the United Kingdom has rejected Julian Assange's appeal against his extradition to the United States, where he now faces up to 175 years in prison. Julian Assange's fate hangs in the balance. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Welcome back to The Socialist Program. I'm your host, Brian Becker. Today, we're talking about Julian Assange's case with Joe Loria. Joe is editor-in-chief of Consortium News. Joe Loria, welcome to The Socialist Program. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. This is very dramatic, very disturbing. People all around the world are demanding that the courts go in a different direction from the one they appear headed for. 89% of Australians, and Julian Assange is, let's remember, Australian. He's not an American. He's not a U.S. citizen. He's in a British prison, but he's an Australian citizen. 89% of Australians, according to these surveys I've read, say Julian Assange should be released. He should be freed. He should be able to come home. Anyway, what's this latest court decision? What is its impact? Is this the end of the road in terms of an appeal by Julian Assange and his lawyers fighting against this extradition? Not quite yet. On Tuesday, his lawyers filed yet another appeal to have a two-day hearing before two judges on the High Court of England and Wales. That would be the final part of the appeal process for Assange. That would end any avenues to appeal anymore in, in the UK. However, there is the European Court of Human Rights. And in December, Assange's lawyers filed their case with the European court, they have the power. Britain is legally bound by whatever decisions they make, even though they left the EU, has nothing to do with that. They could decide, even when Assange's plane is on the tarmac, headed to uh, Alexandria, Virginia, that they could stop that plane and say they need to examine the case. This has happened factually. It happened in July of last year, I believe, when a bunch of Somali Asylum seekers, the UK was trying to send them back to a certainly dangerous situation, and the European court stopped it. The plane was actually ready to take off. So that has happened before. This decision by one judge last week came after 11 months. It was an 11-month request. This is an application for appeal. This one judge, Jonathan Swift, rejected that application for appeal. So they, the appeal was never heard. He says no. And this is long, a long, long process. It began in September 2020 when the extradition hearing was held at the lower court in London, the magistrate's court. The magistrate decided not to extradite Assange. He released him, not because of any of the political or legal arguments, but simply because Assange's health and the condition of U.S. prisons which we heard about from all, uh, lots of testimony in that hearing, the combination of the two would lead him most likely to commit suicide. That's what that judge decided. So she ordered him released, but did not release him on bail. The U.S. appealed that 
to the high court. They issued assurances saying we won't mistreat him. And the high court agreed with that, even though that was new evidence and there was new developments. Assange had a stroke in the interim. High court said, okay, we believe those assurances. So he's going to be extradited and sent it to the Home Secretary to sign the extradition order. Assange applied to the Supreme Court then. So the Supreme Court rejected his appeal of that high court decision granting the U.S. their appeal that these assurances were bona fide and that the U.S. is going to treat Assange kindly in the U.S., even though there are loopholes in those assurances, saying that if Assange did something wrong, they could overthrow him in maximum security and the SAMs, the Special Administrative Measures, the most harsh solitary confinement in the U.S. system. So because the Supreme Court rejected that, it was sent to the Home Secretary who signed the extradition order, but then Assange, his team, initiated this 11-month application to the High Court to argue against the political decisions and legal decisions of the lower court judge who had released them only on health grounds. And amongst those grounds they were trying to appeal were that the U.S. was politically motivated, that the U.S.-U.K. extradition treaty does not allow for political offenses, for anyone for a political offense to be extradited, and also that Assange's rights to free speech on the European law were violated. It was that 11-month-old application that was rejected last week by Jonathan Swift. So now Assange only has this last-ditch effort of trying to get the two judges at the high court to, in fact, listen to his appeal. If that fails, and it looks like it will, then it's up to the European court to stop the plane from taking off. Yeah, so we're reaching the climax here of this case. This is a case that should never have been brought the United Nations ruled that his detention, and that's what it essentially was, because he couldn't leave the Ecuadorian embassy, was a case of arbitrary detention. When the UN determines that a case is arbitrary detention, usually that ends up in the release of the person. But the Trump administration, working with the Ecuadorian new president, managed to arrest him and charge him. Pompeo, who was director of CIA, wanted to kill Julian. Apparently, he called for the CIA, or they were looking into the CIA trying to assassinate Julian. I want you to talk about that. And then I also want to remind the audience, and we're going to come back to this, what Julian's real, quote, crime was. Because when the Iraq war logs were released, the Pentagon had the footage of an American attack helicopter pilot gunning down journalists unarmed journalists in Iraq and many, many Iraqi civilians. WikiLeaks told us about that. We wouldn't have known about it otherwise. It would have been a war crime that was kept in secret. Anyway, let's go over some of this territory, arbitrary detention. Mike Pompeo, CIA director who said, we lie, we cheat, we steal, right? He also said, wanted to kill Julian Assange. Go ahead. Yes. Yes, which makes it even more extraordinary that Britain would send Julian Assange to a country whose government, or at least their intelligence service, literally put into, into work plans to kidnap or poison Julian Assange. So the UN decision, that was several years ago now, that was by a panel that determined that he was arbitrarily being detained and he should be released and compensated. Julian Assange went out on the balcony of the embassy in Knightsbridge in London, and he, he made a speech about that. And there was a huge crowd of supporters there. That was 
quite a long time ago. But Britain is not bound legally by that decision. That is not a Security Council, for example, decision, which is certainly legally binding. However, they would be bound legally by the European Court of Human Rights if they decide to stop his extradition. Pompeo came to this office as director of CIA under Trump at the beginning of the Trump administration, January 2017, and his first appearance at CIA headquarters, he made his very first speech, and he devoted much of that speech to WikiLeaks and to Julian Assange, accused them of being a hostile non-state intelligence service, that he didn't have First Amendment rights, and that they were going to get him. They were going to do everything they could to undermine and destroy WikiLeaks. I mean, he made it a priority. It shocked some people, but he followed through on that. First, we learned from a court case in Spain by the head of a Spanish surveillance company that was hired by the Ecuadorian government, the government that gave legal political asylum to Julian Assange to stay in their London embassy. They hired this firm in order to give Julian Assange protection. But in fact, this guy went rogue. David Morales, his name is. He's the head of this company, UC Global. He got involved with the CIA. It's a long, complicated story involving Sheldon Adelson and the Sands Casino and all of this. But ultimately, he, UC Global and this guy Morales worked with the CIA rather than protect Julian. In the end, they set up a 24-7 live audio and video feed of everything going on in that embassy, including, and most importantly, conversations Assange had with his lawyers and his doctors. And certainly his conversation with his lawyers are legally protected. WikiLeaks found out about this because somebody tried to blackmail them to get money to prevent these videos from coming out. And they wired someone, one of Assange's lawyers. Anyway, it led to this criminal case against Morales and UC Global for violating Assange's privacy and also attorney privilege confidentiality between a lawyer and his client. And they also, there's a money laundering charge against Morales as well. In the course of that trial, we heard from former employees of this company that CIA worked Morales to try to either poison Assange or kidnap him. And they were taking the DNA of his child's diapers from the rubbish bin outside the embassy to get a DNA test on Assange to see if the kid was in fact Julian's son. So that became shocking. And that was even read into the record at the extradition hearing in September 2020. But you fast forward about a year and a half later, Yahoo News did a much longer and complete story about this. They didn't break it, but they gave lots of details and confirmation that, in fact, the CIA put into plans to kidnap or kill Julian Assange. This is the government the British courts want to send Julian Assange to. And of course, the Department of Justice say there's a Chinese wall uh, between the CIA and the DOJ so that whatever information they learned from the conversations between Assange and his lawyers, they're never going to share that with the DOJ. Well, I'm not sure a lot of people believe that. But that's the situation we're in right now in terms of Pompeo, who, by the way, has been sued. CIA and Pompeo have been sued by four Americans two lawyers and two journalists, because when they went to visit Julian at the embassy, their phones had to be left at the front desk at this company, UC Global, and they've now discovered that, in fact, all the data on their phones and their computers were taken, and they had lawyers had data on their cases with other clients, had nothing to do with Julian. So they absolutely broke this attorney-client privilege law, and CIA is being sued. They're trying to get it dismissed. But just last week, we have a new report from El Pais 
in Spain that this guy Morales had a lot of stuff on his computer that they didn't turn over on discovery initially. It has now been discovered. And on those, in his computer files, he actually has a little folder that says CIA. And in there are videos of Assange. So there's even clearer evidence that this company worked for the CIA. There was a lot before. So this is what the U.S. government is doing to a man who published their own words, their own documents, their own videos to expose their criminality, at least prima facie evidence of war crimes by the United States, of corruption, of manipulation, all the diplomatic cables. This is stuff they just don't want the public to know. They've got a corporate media that plays ball with them and will, they don't have to worry too much. They have pretty much control the corporate media by leaking their own stuff to them. And if one guy comes along and starts exposing all this stuff, well, this is the reaction. This is what they're doing to a publisher. And all the press freedom groups, all the uh, human rights organizations, the biggest ones are all on Julian Assange's side, finally. Even the New York Times, El Pais, and the Guardian and the Spiegel, who published the same documents that Assange has been indicted on. They published the exact same documents. They weren't indicted. They have all come out in a statement a few months ago saying, drop the charges, Joe Biden. But Joe Biden is not dropping the charges. And I could tell you why I think he isn't, if you're interested, Brian. Well, of course we're interested. I mean, here you have finally the Guardian, Le Monde, Al Pais, Der Spiegel, the New York Times, the same media outlets that published WikiLeaks documents because they were true. There's nothing WikiLeaks published that's not true. They published them. Some of these news organizations won awards for their publication. And for the longest time, they were then silent while Julian was being persecuted and prosecuted, repressed. But as you said, at least now they've come together and said, don't prosecute him. He's being prosecuted on the Espionage Act of 1917, among other things. And of course, as a socialist, I always knew about Eugene Debs. He went to prison, age 66, was sentenced to 10 years at hard labor for daring to give a speech against World War I. And since then, the weaponization of the Espionage Act against truth tellers or people who are opponents of war Obviously, it's reached a new crescendo here. But, you know, we're all curious, Joe, why is Biden sticking with the Donald Trump, Mike Pompeo program in terms of doing in Julian Assange? Well, I should say that Assange is the first journalist and publisher ever to be prosecuted under the Espionage Act. There was an attempt by FDR in the 1940s during World War II against the Chicago Tribune editors and reporters who, who published articles in which it showed that the U.S. had broken the Japanese code over the Midway battle, but the grand jury in Chicago refused to return an indictment, so FDR failed. The same thing happened with the Pentagon Papers. It's not well known, but Nixon impounded the grand jury in Boston to go after the New York Times. And it was only when Ellsberg was discovered that his phone had been tapped by the FBI, meaning the reporters were also tapped, that that thing collapsed. So now it was Trump who was the first to actually indict a journalist. All the other cases, and Obama did more than all the other presidents before that, they were all about government employees who basically who had signed non-disclosure act agreements, rather, so that they were bound legally not to reveal this classified duty. Julian Assange, not even being an American citizen, certainly never worked for the government. He's never made that commitment. 
He's a publisher. He didn't steal the documents. So let's get to Biden now. Biden said in December of 2010, as vice president on Meet the Press, he was asked, are you trying to prosecute the Obama administration, Julian Assange? And Biden said, and you could see it on YouTube, look, if we can't prove that he actually went in there and stole the documents himself or helped steal those documents, and that he only received them as a journalist, we can't prosecute him. It was what they called the New York Times problem. How could they prosecute Assange without prosecuting also the New York Times who published the exact same documents and who constantly get classified documents? So guess what? The Obama administration did not prosecute Assange. The Obama-Biden administration and their DOJ did not prosecute Assange. He stayed in the embassy. It was Trump with Pompeo driving this thing that did it, that crossed that line. So why now when Biden is in office, did he not drop these charges? Since he said in 2010, there's no evidence to do it. And there's been no new evidence since that, by the way. Assange has been indicted on the 2010 leaks, which came a few months before Biden made those remarks. So what changed? Nothing changed in the, in the legal aspect of the case. What changed was two major political events. The first, WikiLeaks publishing the DNC and the John Podesta emails in 2016. They were all true. This was legitimate journalism. It was not motivated to help or hurt any candidate. Anybody who got those documents would have to publish them. And Julian Assange did. And that obviously incensed the DNC. Debbie Wasserman Schultz and four other officials had to resign as soon as it came out, which proved that it was true, that they tried to hurt and did hurt Bernie Sanders' chances of winning the nomination, cheating on behalf of Hillary Clinton. This is the DNC. By the way, in a lawsuit, a judge they told a judge, and the judge agreed to this, that they're a private organization and they can cheat all they want, like a backroom smoke field. They could ignore the primary voters and all that. So that was an interesting that was revealed. But the Democratic Party is still to this day absolutely incensed at Julian Assange, wrongly, falsely blaming him for having gotten Donald Trump elected, ignoring so many other factors in that election, including Hillary Clinton's very poor campaign. Number two was the Vault 7 leak. That came out right around the time of the inauguration of Trump, and that, in my view, led to that horrible speech by Pompeo, and then the actions to try to draw up plans, which were never implemented, but they drew up legitimate plans of CIA, there's no doubt about it now, to kidnap or poison Julian Assange. That CIA release showed, it was the biggest leak in CIA history, it showed nefarious things the CIA does. One example that keeps being mentioned, because everybody can relate to it, is the CIA in Samsung televisions have a way, even though the, your set is off, to use the camera to spy on you in your apartment and in your home. This they didn't deny. So it was stuff like that that WikiLeaks revealed because somebody leaked it to WikiLeaks. They didn't steal the documents. It was given to WikiLeaks. So today, Biden looks at this case, and he, if he sticks with his principles that he enunciated back in December of 2010, he should drop the case. Because the indictment is about what happened in 2010, not the CIA leak, not the DNC leak. But do you think that he would very easily be able to do that without his own party, although that he's supposedly the head of, but his own party and the CIA being very, very angry at him, giving him all kinds of crap? 
I mean, I think that that's enormous political pressure on him not to drop this case. However, I have to say that before this very bad news, first of the judge last week rejecting the appeal at the high court in London, we also learned a week before that that the FBI is still investigating the case with Julian Assange. They were trying to get an interview with his biographer in London to try to get more dirt on him. The biographer who had a big split with Julian still on principle did not talk to the FBI. So all of this very bad news was preceded by enormously encouraging news, particularly in Australia, so that the last six weeks have been a roller coaster for Julian Assange and his supporters. The expectations grew because finally Anthony Albanese, the Labour Prime Minister, who had been saying enough is enough with this case, but would never directly speak about whether he contacted the US officials, what he really thinks about this case. He kept saying, I'm using quiet diplomacy. And he was really disappointing Assange supporters. And as you quoted, Brian, at the beginning of this interview, 89% of Australians want him out. So it's a political electoral issue for Albanese. This huge support to get Assange back home in Australia. And he's dumb if he doesn't do something about that, whether he believes it or not, just purely from the electoral point of view. So he finally, in May 4th, when he was in London for the coronation, gave an interview to the Australian Broadcaster Corporation, in which he finally revealed that, yes, he'd spoken to, with Department of Justice officials, that there's been contacts between the Australian government and the U.S. government, that he's worried about his health, and that the case needs to be dropped. So this was an enormous step forward by Albanese to finally say, yes, he's been direct contact with the U.S. government on this. And then Carol, five days after that interview, May 4th, so May 9th around then, Caroline Kennedy, the daughter of JFK, who's the U.S. ambassador to Australia, invited six pro-Assange Australian members of parliament to the U.S. embassy in Canberra to have lunch these come two from the Labour Party, two from the Conservative Liberal Party, as it's called, and one independent. Oh, there were three Labour and two Liberal and one independent. So six MPs. Do you think that Carolyn Kennedy would be able to do that without approval from the State Department, who she works for, and probably the White House? So that increased the absolute optimism in Australia, that something was in the works. And then a couple of days after that, Albanese indeed said that Assange would have to play his role in this, and that everybody interpreted that to mean that there were talks going on to secure a plea deal. And Biden was due in Australia on May 24th, a few days after that remark. And then there was this enormous speculation in Australia that Biden and Albanese may announce that there's a deal, or at least that they're working on a deal a plea deal to get Julian out of Belmarsh in London, back to Australia on a lesser charge, serve out maybe a few months in Australia, and then be free. Except Biden canceled his trip to Australia. He said it was because of the debt crisis. He met Albanese in Japan at the G7 summit. We don't know whether they talked about Assange. But the prospect of Biden coming led Stella Assange, Julian Assange's wife, to make her first ever trip to Australia. She said in the speech that she gave at the National Press Club in Canberra that she had intended to go with Julian back to visit his home country. But in this case, because Biden was going to be there, she went. When Biden canceled, she stuck with it and showed up at the press club with Jennifer Robinson, a lawyer, a London lawyer for Assange. 
And during that press club appearance, Stellar said that we're in the end game. This is the closest our husband has ever been to release. And then Robinson said for the first time, any lawyer from Assange, that the legal team would consider a plea deal. But she says, what exactly would we be pleading to? Because their principal position has dropped the case. He's committed no crimes. So Julian Assange, would he admit to committing a lesser crime, let's say the conspiracy to commit computer intrusion, in order to get out? When it would be against everything the guy seems to stand for, which would be not to lie, which he to stand on the principle that he is innocent on all charges. Well, there happens to be a ridiculously crazy law in the U.S. called the Alford plea. In essence, you're allowed to plead. If you're a defendant, you're allowed to plead guilty to a crime, but also make a statement saying, I'm not guilty. I'm only doing this because I don't think I'm going to get a fair trial. They're going to throw me in jail anyway. So I'm making this deal purely on practical matters to get the hell out and serve a short sentence. But I did not do it. So that's actually happened in several cases in the U.S. So this is something maybe a way out for Assange to publicly state, I didn't do it, but I'm going to take this guilty plea because I want to get out of jail and re reunited with my family. So this happened with the case of David Hicks, an Australian citizen who was thrown in Guantanamo and accused of material assistance to terrorism and everything. And the whole thing was overturned and he got out. But he got out with that kind of a plea. He pled guilty to something he said he didn't do. And then ultimately he won it on appeal anyway. So all of his record was expunged. He went to Guantanamo for nothing. Now, the lawyer for that guy is a guy called Stephen Kenny, the lawyer for Hicks at that time. He's also Assange's lawyer in Australia. And he said that that would be something they would be going into. Now, when the FBI began invest still investigating this Assange, he told the Sydney Morning Herald, Kerry, that it would be very unusual if the FBI was trying to gather evidence that could help clear Assange's name. Because there was speculation going that they maybe the U.S. wanted to bolster part of the case in order to then make it easier for Assange to take a plea. But now with the high court judge throwing this out, with Biden saying nothing about this, canceling his trip to Australia, we're back to square one. It doesn't seem like there's any movement at all towards a plea deal. Now, unless at the very end, there is a deal. And the only way, in my argument, is Biden would need his pound of flesh to do this. Why? Because the CIA and the DNC are breathing down his neck. He'd have to get Assange to agree that he did something guilty. And he'd have to go to Australia and serve some more time. So there's got to be something. He can't just release him and drop the charges, which is what all of what Assange's supporters want, that Assange will have to. But I'm not even sure that's going to happen anymore, that Biden won't even get his pound of flesh because of this pressure from the CIA and the DOJ is what I am surmising, given the entire history of this case. Yeah, very, very important. I want to I'm going to come back to this. Joe, in, in our last minute or two, I want to come back to sort of an evaluation of what might be part of the thinking of the Biden administration as it so far goes forward with this immoral, unethical, illegal, false prosecution of Julian Assange. But before we do that, I want to go back to 2010 to the Iraq war logs, because many people watching this show or listening to this show because of who our audience is, they're going to be five years old, seven years old, 10 years old in 2010. And even though Julian Assange is fairly well known, if you weren't there then, you might not know the significance of what WikiLeaks was doing. So I want to go back 
and we even have a little bit of footage I think we can use from the Iraq war logs, but I want to paint the picture of what WikiLeaks actually revealed. And of course, Chelsea Manning also went to prison for quite a number of years and suffered terribly, and then was sent back to prison, back to jail during the Trump administration after Obama, I think, commuted her sentence. But as we can see in this footage, there's Reuters journalists and Iraqi civilians walking together, not shooting anybody, not threatening anybody, obviously not in battle. And this attack helicopter pilot sees them, asks for permission, and now you see them being just mowed down with heavy-duty gunfire from the helicopter. And then there's a couple kids, some civilians come and try to help. And they get out of a car and the car is shot up and some more people are killed by the helicopter pilot. And then it turns out two of the people shot are little kids. And the pilot says, well, they shouldn't have brought kids into a war zone. Well, it wasn't a war zone. It's where they live. It's Iraq. And this blatant, cold-blooded murder, this crime against humanity, this war crime. The Pentagon knew about this. I mean, they had the footage, and Reuters was demanding the footage, and the Pentagon just stonewalled them. They said, no, Reuters filed Freedom of Information Act, public records requests, trying to get that footage. They, didn't, they couldn't get it because the Pentagon didn't want to have evidence of this kind of criminality on the part of the U.S. occupying forces in, in Iraq. So Julian Assange released it. WikiLeaks released it. And because of that, we learned about it. And, you know, all of our kids are told in, in school, and we were told when we were kids in school, that one of the things that makes America great is that we have something called the First Amendment, the freedom of speech, the right to assemble, to redress grievances, the right of, of the press to speak freely, that Congress shall pass no law that inhibits or obstructs this freedom of speech. And because WikiLeaks published true documents, real things, videos that showed the truth, he drew the ire of the entire establishment. Not the entire establishment at that time, because part of the establishment, like the New York Times and the Washington Post, were against George W. Bush. So as long as George W. Bush was the steward overseeing the U.S. war drive and occupation of Iraq, they were kind of like, okay, let's expose these war crimes. But when Obama came in, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, and later, then it was no longer fashionable to be revealing war crimes. And WikiLeaks, as it continued to do just as it did during the Bush administration, because WikiLeaks isn't partisan, it wasn't pro-Democrat, it wasn't pro-Republican, all of that sort of acceptance or allowance of, of WikiLeaks as a, as a journalistic entity that was doing good, all of that vanished, as you said. And then additional events happened, like the Vault 7 release. I just want to remind people that what WikiLeaks did was really something for the public good. I mean, when Seymour Hersh revealed the Millay massacre in the late 1960s, where American soldiers killed 500-plus Vietnamese civilians, babies, and their grandparents, we were told that was a good thing. And now here you have Julian Assange, 13 years incarcerated, 
still in Belmarsh prison. He waited almost a year for this ridiculous three-page decision saying, we reject your appeal. He wait That's all they were doing. For a year, he waited for this decision. And now he's facing 175 years in prison. And if he's convicted, that would mean that a non-American, someone who's not a U.S. citizen, who is publishing materials in other countries, could be sent to 175 years in a U.S. prison, a maximum security prison even. What journalist would not feel that this was a chill, you know, a headwinds against the release and publication of documents that the government doesn't want published, but in the past were considered to be part of the, the media's role, which was to hold the government accountable, to protect sources. I mean, it would seem to me that while we're going through the, the nuts and bolts of the case, what I want our audience to understand is the big picture here. WikiLeaks revealed war crimes, and if you get sent to prison for 175 years because you're a media outlet exposing U.S. war crimes, that's basically it for the First Amendment. And in that sense, everyone has a stake here. No doubt about it. That film, every time I see it, Sometimes I get jaded, but this time really it upset me again. But that's just one, one of much of the evidence that WikiLeaks revealed. Because it's a video, it got a lot of attention. We also learned there was a house in Iraq where U.S. soldiers invaded and massacred a family. To cover up the evidence, they called in an airstrike and blew the whole thing up. This doesn't get the same publicity as that video, but that is even worse in my view, in some ways than what we see on that video. And they're both absolutely awful. You mentioned Milai. What happened in that instance, Brian? The whistleblower went to Congress. They listened to him. The journalist, Hirsch, not only published the story, won a Pulitzer Prize and got a job at the New York Times. The soldier, at least one soldier, went to jail for a while, Lieutenant Cowley. Now, what happened 50 years later with this collateral murder video that you just showed? The whistleblower, Chelsea Manning, went to jail. The journalist didn't get a Pulitzer Prize, didn't get a job at the New York Times. He's in jail right now. And the soldiers that are involved in that murder that we see, cold-blooded murder, and you listen to their remarks, it's even more disgusting. They know who those guys are. They know who their commanding officers are. Nothing has happened to them at all. So the exact opposite, 50 years later, shows you how far the United States has sunk in terms of how to deal with their own war crimes. Just doesn't exist. They want to sweep it under the carpet and put the guy who revealed it in jail. And this is where we are right now. And it's a unbelievable outrage. And you're absolutely right, Brian. The First Amendment is at stake. The Espionage Act of 1917 is clearly unconstitutional because there's a conflict there. There's no exception for a journalist. It says anyone who has unauthorized possession of defense information and or disseminates that has broken the law. And because the Espionage Act does not have a public interest defense, that means Assange cannot go on the stand in Alexandria and say, well, this is why I revealed this information. Chelsea Manning was able to do that actually in the court martial, but not in a civilian court under the Espionage Act. It's a strict liability law. Did you possess the classified information 
that you were not authorized to do? Yes or no? Did you disseminate it? Yes or no? Well, yes, he did possess it. Yes, he did disseminate it. Case closed. That's why he can't get a fair trial in the U.S., why he cannot be extradited to the United States. There's no way he'll be able to get away from that. They could challenge this law to the Supreme Court showing that when a journalist gets documents that he didn't steal, that he didn't sign a non-disclosure agreement about and publishes them, he's doing the work that a journalist does every day around the world when they get leaked classified information. This is not a crime. That's the First Amendment protection. In fact, the First Amendment authorizes a journalist to possess classified information and disseminate. You can look at it that way. He was authorized to have it. That's one argument you could make, but that is not the way it's written right now. It has to be challenged, rewritten, and there are, I think it was Talib, the congresswoman in Michigan, who has put forward amendments to the Espionage Act that would, in fact, do what I'm talking about. Make it not a crime for a journalist to publish classified information. Because as it's written right now, it is a crime. It's unconstitutional because it conflicts completely with the First Amendment rights that authorizes a journalist to possess this material. And we got to have that change. But right now, do you, there's no climate. This Supreme Court, I wouldn't trust it to make that kind of a decision. It's a horrendous situation, and more and more people need to know about it. And even though the New York Times and those other newspapers put out a statement saying drop the charges, they're not campaigning. Let's say the way Consortium News is with a very small budget and a very small reach. But we constantly are reporting on this story to bring out the latest news and analysis of what's going on. We've been inside the courtroom virtually and one day actually in London in the courtroom to cover this case because we understand, as you do, Brian, as many of your listeners do, just how monumental this case is. It's not just about the life of Julian Assange, although that is certainly significant and it's an outrage how he's being treated. It's the future of journalism, investigative journalism, that's at stake here, and that is not hyperbole. Last point, you know, Edward Snowden, again, another truth teller. We we know about the national surveillance state in more of its entirety, really, because Snowden told the truth. Congress knew about it, actually. The Congressional Oversight Committee, they knew, but they're they're not really, they're an undersight committee. They're under the intelligence agencies. They're not over them. Snowden, when he decided heroically to reveal that the National Security Agency and U.S. intelligence services are carrying out a surveillance war against the American people and people all over the world, literally everywhere, he was trying to go for asylum somewhere. Ultimately, he ended up in Russia. And then the U.S. government officials in the Obama administration ridiculed Snowden, said he's not a hero, he's a coward. Because if he was a hero, he would, in the words of then Secretary of State John Kerry, he would man up and tell the truth and face the consequences. Like, yeah, reveal these documents showing that the American government's involved in illegal activity, in this case against the American people, massive spying and lying about it to everyone, to Congress, to the public lying about it, and he should man up. That was the big mantra of the Obama administration officials. He's not a hero, he's a coward. Look, he ran away, and he ran away to Russia, no less. But if he had not escaped, Snowden would be in prison for the rest of his life because these people, they can call it manning up or taking responsibility. There's no justice here. If there's any justice, 
if Julian Assange gets some justice, which will be like just on top of such a big injustice, if he's finally let go after 13 or 14 or 15 years, whenever it happens, and hopefully it will happen, there will be some little bit of justice. It doesn't negate the fact that the entire state apparatus was used willfully by politicians and bureaucrats to smash him and to destroy him and to attempt to kill him, to certainly silence him and to silence others who also wanted to do what he did, had the guts to do what he did or what Snowden did, which is to tell the truth. So this idea that these politicians, these rich millionaire, multimillionaire or billionaire politicians running around telling whistleblowers and truth tellers, man up, take responsibility. You don't stand a chance in this system. You don't stand a chance. And if Julian is finally freed, if there is that little bit of justice, it won't be because of the courts. It'll be because the people in Australia and hopefully the people in Europe and hopefully the people in the United States mobilized sufficiently that it created political pressure causing his release. It won't be because the system is, quote, working. Anyway, with that, I'm going to give you, Joe Laurie, the last word. It's very hard to take the system seriously. I mean, it's really, it's so far beyond anything that we expect it to be that it's, uh, it's, for example, they get away with saying that they believe in freedom of the press and on World Press Freedom Day, Blinken, the Secretary of State, what makes, I mean, who believes this when you see the Assange case? And yet the corporate media continuously legitimizes these absolutely illegitimate people running this system by everyday reporting on them and, you know, making this electoral thing a legitimate exercise and the judicial system legitimate when we see all of the problems with this case with Assange. If they really believed in press freedom, which we know they do not, they're absolute hypocrites. Anybody in any party, Republican or Democrat, any of the political leaders, they would end this case today. And they would be rewarded for that by their own population. But of course, the people are not aware in the United States in particular of this case. They're not enough aware. And that's the corporate media again, providing cover for this corrupt, illegitimate system that's destroying this man and destroying journalism that they don't give a damn about. Nor does corporate media really give a damn about it, do they? When you get down to it, it's not journalism they're doing, it's something else. It's promoting U.S. agenda abroad and protecting and legitimizing corrupt politicians. This is what the press does. And when a guy comes along and really does his job as Julian does, look what's happened to him. All right. We want to encourage everybody either watching or listening to this show, join a protest in your area. There are many taking place for Julian Assange. Write letters to the editor. Share this video. If you want to lobby or call your, your representatives in Congress, do that. Don't do it meekly. Do nothing meekly. Do everything with anger because this case deserves real anger from the part of the public. And also follow Joe Loria. Go to his media outlet, Consortium News. It's consortiumnews.com. Joe is the editor-in-chief. Support independent media like Consortium News. If you go there, if you like it, if you use it, if you rely on it, show your support for it. Joe Loria, thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. 
If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.